Welcome to King Size, Survivor Type. With Matt Robinson. Welcome, fellow Constance, to Survivor Type with me, your host, Matt Robinson. This week, I am joined by Kelly Brocklehurst, a writer and co-editor with Jamie Stewart of Welcome to the Fun House. Kelly, welcome so much to the show and thank you for being our Survivor Type. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good, thanks. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your writing and, and your editing. Um, and then just also really curious to know what your King connection is to. Yeah. So with writing, um, my background is I actually have a degree in creative writing that the emphasis was actually poetry, which I still write. But I wrote young adult for a long time, and now I'm finally into writing horror, and that's been really good. I have a project I'm working on that I can't talk about too much right now, but I'm really excited about it. So keep an eye out on my Instagram for that. With editing, you mentioned Welcome to the Fun House. Jamie and I are also working on a religious horror anthology right now called The Sacrament. And I'm doing a like I'm dipping my toes into editing right now. So I'm doing a couple of other editing projects to make sure that this is something I want to do before I start making it kind of a second job um, for myself. And then so my King connection, mm. I don't remember it as solidly as other people seem to remember when they first got into reading King. I know the first King book I read was Carrie. I was probably 11 or 12. I'm really not sure on the timeline because I've been reading King for over 20 years. And so my memory is just not going to be that good. (laughs) (laughs) I can barely remember what I did yesterday. Oh yeah. You're singing to the choir there. I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, I read Carrie because my aunt had a copy of it and my mom, I'm pretty sure said I could read the book, but not watch the movie much to my cousin's bafflement. Um, And then from there, I don't remember what I read next. I remember going to a library book sale and getting a bunch of the classic King books like Christine and The Shining. Um, But I don't know, again, the timeline, it's just all wonky. So I don't know if I got those books and read them first, or if it was when I then jumped into the regulators, not even knowing that was a Stephen King book. I just stumbled across it at the library on the bottom shelf (laughs) and read it and loved it. So Amazing. So something drew you to that book, but when you, when you read the regulators, uh, you you had no idea it was King. I had no idea it was King. It was like the first edition hardcover. So his name wasn't on it anywhere. Um, Which, I mean, that book came out, what, in 1996? Yeah. So I probably read it 98 or 99 is my best guess. Um, So yeah, I had no clue it was him. And I, I figured it out pretty quickly, I think, because I remember loving it enough that when I had to do a project in one of my eighth grade classes, I chose to read Desperation because at that point I knew it was a companion novel, but I don't even know how I figured out that it was Stephen King. (laughs) 
Right. And, and, and what's your views on the regulators? Because, uh, uh, you know, it's quite a divisive one. And, and you know, for a lot of people, it's either, you know, can, well, it was, it's an it's an abject failure or it's like an admirable project that doesn't quite reach it. What what's Where do you stand on it? I mean, I love it. Yeah. For a long time, I said it was my favorite Stephen King book. Um, wow. It's a completely crazy book. And I know it's problematic in some ways, but it's just so much fun. You know, the opening section as he's just painting the little, you know, suburbia and all the streets and the paper boy and what's going on and the sprinklers are going off and you just know yeah. something is around the corner. It's such a tension builder. Yeah, he he paints the picture of the beginning of summer so well and yeah. then just completely destroys everything of what summer is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're on the island uh, and who knows, regulators might be one that you are going to take with you, but we are giving you the option to take three Stephen King books with you onto the island. You're going to take a non-King book an album, a film. You're also going to sneak in your backpack a Stephen King novel that you are going to throw on the fire to keep you warm and enable you to roast a limb or two to keep you going as the days and the nights draw in. And you also get a luxury item. But let's start with those Stephen King books. You've got three that you can save from the waves and take onto the sand. What are your top three King books and why? Okay, so my top three King books are actually a little bit different than the books I'm going to talk about. So my actual top three King in order are Christine, The Green Mile, and Revival. But of those three, the only one I'm going to save is Christine. Right. <laughs> it is, which is vastly underrated. I'm sure other people are thinking, why are you saving that book? <laughs> um but I I love it. It's for me, I think a lot of people think that this is just a book about a crazy killer car when it's really a book about friendship and the end of childhood and the beginning of adulthood. Mm. Um, when I was in high school, I was 18, my best friend and I had a falling out and we didn't talk for, you know, seven years. So, wow. you know, that dynamic when I read Christine now. Mm what happens with Dennis and Arnie just hits me so much harder because it's so much more relatable for me. Um, and it's just, it's a devastating story when it comes to that loss. And do you still feel that, that kind of ache or that melancholy when you associate yourself and that time with Christine? Oh yeah, absolutely. I can't read that book and not just feel completely like nostalgic and emotionally devastated. Yeah when I'm done with it. So a cautious reread, right? You've got to be in the right space for that, I, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not one that I reread often, but but I, I do. Yeah. yeah, and I guess sometimes to have that, that, that devastation, that book that really... Gives you that punch could be, um, you know, mm -hmm. quite a quite a powerful uh, adrenaline shot maybe on the island. Um, so, okay, yeah. so Kelly, so you got Christine absolutely. So talk us through. So that's the only one of your three outside of the island that is uh, is making it with you to the sand. What who, who's accompanying Christine? Yes. So the next one is everything's eventual, oh, nice. which is. 
Another book that I think is really underrated. There is not a single story in that book that I don't love. Um, that's not to say that some aren't weaker than others, but as a whole, I just really love that collection. I think it's a lot of fun. There is a story in there, The Road Virus Heads North, that actually really scared me the first time I read it. And I don't scare easily. So for me, that says something. What was it? Um, if what was it about that one that particularly scared you? God, I don't even remember now. I think it was just like this idea of the painting like following you and changing. Yeah. There was something about that that just was terrifying to me and you couldn't get away from it. Mm. And what so what when you're when you're reading and when you're reading horror or what is it that that scares you more than others? Because I know for me there's a really clear, you know, sometimes the monsters the, the don't scare me in the way that, for instance, the way King writes about the human monsters. They're the ones that really, really put a shiver yeah. up my spine. Yeah, I think for me, it's not that things necessarily scare me so much as I can read or watch something that I find deeply unsettling. So a movie like Hereditary is, now granted, that's a movie that doesn't rely on jump scares. So you don't have that aspect of being scared. But for me, that movie is absolutely terrifying in ways because of that loss of control that you have. But for me, it's more of just very disturbing and unsettling. And it keeps me up at night because I can't stop thinking about it. Um, another example I like to give is a movie called The East, which is not even a horror movie. But it's about this organization that calls themselves The East. And, you know, they they basically, they go after people in organizations. And so one of the things they do in this movie is... They go after this pharmaceutical company at, you know, some event they're having and they're there as the caterers and they take whatever medicine is really bad that this company has produced and they put it into their drinks because people are, you know, I can't explain it very well. Like they're dying from this medicine and like forgetting who they are. And the company, yeah. of course, is like, no, 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 there's nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, they we're put fine. it in the drink. Yeah, right. Everything's fine. So they put it in the drinks and then there's a scene later on in the movie where you see like the main pharmaceutical rep and she's recording herself and you can see how she's been affected by her company's drug. And she's like crying and she can't remember like who she is. Wow. And that is just, that's the kind of thing that I find terrifying where it's more emotional, more psychological, mm. very, very unsettling. And so like, that was a movie that, again, not a horror movie, but I didn't sleep for like two nights because I could not get it out of my head. Yeah. So Kelly, so you've got you've got Christine, got everything's mm -hmm. eventual, but you've still got room in the backpack for one more king. What's your third king that's yes. coming with you? The Wastelands. Oh. It is my favorite of the Dark Tower series. Um, I just. You know, it's when the quartet comes together. Everybody's there. And I really love Blaine, the mono. He's one of my favorite <laughs> villains. He is just, I mean, talk about bonkers. He is a completely bonkers villain. And I crack up every time I read everything with Blaine. I think he's just hilarious. And I love, I love the riddling. I think it's just great. It's, 
Yeah. For me, one of the strongest books in the series, especially mm. because for me, after you get past Wizard and Glass, the series goes off the rails a little bit. It gets too meta yeah. for me. Mm. Mm. So this is for me like the heart of the series. And did you talk us through it, Kelly, when you did your Dark Tower journey? Did um, What was it like? You know, how, what was the process for you of those seven novels? Yes. So I was lucky enough to not be one of those people who had to wait. Um, I didn't read the series until I was in college. Mm. And it actually took me three times before I was able to even get into the gunslinger. Right, yeah. But once I was into it, oh my gosh, I loved it. And I just, mm. I binged the whole series. Yeah. And it's it's fantastic. Despite how meta it gets, I really love this series with all my heart. You're riding Blaine with, you know, with our quartet. And as you're going along with Blaine, that first time you you heard it or read it, you know, are you working out those riddles yourself? Are you feeling that heat within the, the mono rise? You know, I don't remember the first time I read it if I was trying to figure out the riddles myself, but I was definitely stressed. It was definitely like, oh my God, what if they don't know the answers? Can they get out of this alive? And I mean, obviously because I, you know, I owned the whole series. So I knew that at least one of them was going to make it out of there. But yeah, it was intense. Yeah. But as you say, it's like, you know, what King does is he builds up a picture of summer and then ruins it. And I always right. feel with his books, like any moment, you know, any of those characters, those characters that we love, that our friends, our family to yeah. us can just be taken away. Yes, exactly. And every time I'm like, oh, no, he's not going to take that person away or like he can't take that person away. It's exactly who he does take away. But we're also going to let you uh, sneak in a uh, a book that apparently there are books out there that are not written by Stephen King. Um, <laughs> and Kelly, you can have one of those. So what's it going to be and why? Um, okay, so my original answer for this was The Outsiders by Stephen King. Or not by Stephen King. Oh, my <laughs> he's, Lord. <laughs> he's, he's everywhere. That's so confused. He's everywhere. The Outsiders <laughs> by Effie Hinton. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one. We can't, we uh, can't escape him. We can't escape we can't him. It. Um, <laughs> so The Outsiders by Essie Hinton is my all-time favorite novel. Um, so that was my original choice, but I changed my mind. I want something a little more lighthearted. So I would bring Moonglass by Jesse Kirby. It's... A young adult novel set in Crystal Cove State Park, which is in California. And it's another one of my favorite books. It's just beautifully written. I love anything that's set by the ocean. And that book was the reason that one of my best friends and I actually took a trip out to Crystal Cove State Park. And I just fell in love with the place. It's one of my favorite places to visit. So I have to have that book with me. You have it. It is It is there. You will have it with you. So Kelly, when you're um, editing, what is it that as an editor you're you're looking for? Um, and just give us a little sense of uh, of how it works for you. Yeah. Um, right now, my primary focus when I'm editing is really a lot of copy editing. So catching any, you know, grammatical mistakes, punctuation, things that just don't make sense. Um, 
you know, because there's like the first, there's developmental editing, which is when you're really involved from like stage one of the process of coming up with the idea and all of that. And I, you know, I don't do that. Um, and then you just have the very basic proofreading. So I like to fall in the middle where I get to look at, you know, what's working for the story and what's not. And then just the really detail-oriented stuff, like the grammar and punctuation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you then write, you know, when you're writing your own material, are, are you kind of editing at the same time? Or are you able to almost switch the editing off until further on down the track? I, For the most part, I can switch the editing off. Um, I, I can write a first draft pretty quickly. Yeah. Where I can get myself in trouble is if I go back to read something, mm -hmm. then I will find myself, oh, no, I need to fix this. I don't like the way this is worded. And so I have to stop myself from doing that when I'm doing a first draft. Mm -hmm. um, I was even working on my project this morning and did that a little bit where it was like, no, no, <laughs> it's fine. Change the one thing, but then move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that first draft comes fair, you know, as you say, fairly, fairly easily. Uh, uh, and then how many stages does it tend to go through with you? You know, I write a lot of different things like poetry. Yeah. I've mm. written some poems that I have like 14 drafts of it. And I think I'm finally satisfied with it. Mm. And then other poems where I wrote two drafts mm. with short stories. I'm usually doing about two or three. Mm. And then novels I think the most I've done for a novel is five and that one I ended up setting aside because it's still not working and I probably won't go back to it so it really just depends on what it is I'm working on what it takes what what comes out for you is it you know is it what mood you're in what's going on in your life how do you you know how, how do you know what you're going to write a little bit of both of those things. Mm. Um, the poetry is definitely what's going on in my life. My poetry is incredibly personal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I have some right now that are still in my head. I need to write them down, but they're, you know, about my cousin who passed away in November and my uncle who passed away last month. So the poetry is definitely very personal. Yeah. Short stories, a lot of the times that's, me writing for open submission calls. Okay. If I happen to yeah. come up with an idea that meets a submission call, I do, I'm not like Jamie. I'm not just full of ideas. I don't mm. know how he does it. Um, I really don't. <laughs> and then with novels, I tend to write young adult. So yeah. the one that I'm sort of working on right now is, you know, pretty much the young adult novel that I would like to read at this point. Mm which is, you know, what they say to do. So, yeah, so you mentioned uh, Jamie, Jamie Stewart, who obviously is a, is a good friend of the show. We've had him on a couple mm -hmm. of times and um, cracking, cracking fellow and great, great author. <laughs> and he says that you are his number one uh, reader in that, you know, you are the first person he wants to, to, mm -hmm. to read his stuff. So what is it that, you know, you think gives you that? that 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 edge uh, as a reader if if you could just step outside yourself and look at what you do what what is it yeah i think so i talked about being really detail oriented with editing um so i think i probably catch things that a lot of people miss when they're reading when they're beta reading for people um 
and, and thinking about it too, Jamie's stories are very relatable for me. They always, like everything he does relates to me like in some way. I find them very emotional and they really hit me hard. And I think I can pinpoint really well where he does those things well and where he needs to maybe add a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the novel he has coming out this summer, Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror, I beta read that one for him and now I'm editing it. And I think, you know, those are two different processes. And I think I have found different things for him to think about in each of those processes. And I I think that's what it is. I think I bring him questions of, hey, you don't necessarily need to change this, but think about this aspect. Do with it what you will. So you have that opportunity now to say, do that with Stephen King. So you're able to, as an editor, you know, King's like, hey, you know, look, look over my body of work. If you could edit a Stephen King book <laughs> to just, you think, you know, for better, for worse, probably for better, I imagine. <laughs> what might it be? Uh, that's a really hard choice. There are several. Um, I Unlike a lot of people, my complaint about Stephen King usually is not that his books are too long. I feel like that is such a common complaint that people have about him. But there are a few that I think are way too long. Mm. Um, So I think the one I would edit is my favorite of all of those, which is The Stand. I love that book so much, but there was a reason it was edited in the first place. And that reason is not just because of the publishing process and not being able to publish that large of a book. There are so many parts of that book that are redundant that could just be cut out. You have all of the scenes where like Stu and everybody else in the Boulder Free Zone are having their meeting. And then you have all of Franny's like diary entries about what was said at those meetings. You don't need to have both of those things. (laughs) And I would rather not have the diary entries. I'd rather just be present in the meeting with the characters. On the island, Kelly, uh, you've got um, an album that you can take with you. Um, What's it going to be? I have no idea. This is such a hard question for me. Um, What I listen to is very much determined by what kind of mood I'm in. So if you had asked me this a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have said Taylor Swift. Right now, I am deep into Nirvana. (laughs) It really, like I was not a Nirvana fan growing up. Like I knew the songs that were played on the radio, but I was like, yeah, whatever Nirvana. Um, But my friend Stacy, who is grunge mania on Instagram has really gotten me hooked. She made me a playlist and I am just obsessed. So for today, I'm going to say Nirvana. (laughs) Um, Not a particular album because I haven't listened to every album all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is good stuff. Oh my god! Well, absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I got to check out Grunge Mania. Grunge is my was my music that twenty five years on also <laughs> is what I still listen to every single day. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this weekend was a complete morning for the loss of Taylor Hawkins. Um, oh yeah, that was uh, really. Just so sad, so so sad, yeah. and you know, unfortunately, 
so so many of those musicians I've loved, especially from mm-hmm. that grunge you know era. Um, mm-hmm. Sadly, no longer with us, but. Oh, for sure. You take Nirvana. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that can be, yeah, absolutely pumping out there on, on, on the island. Yeah. And then once you've you've given, you know, uh, given Kurt and Dave and Chris the spin, you can then settle down. We're going to set up a screen between a couple of palm trees so you can watch a movie uh, a, 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 mm-hmm. for a sundowner. What film are you going to watch? Black Hawk Down. It is my absolute favorite movie. I've seen it well over 20 times. I, at some point, stopped counting how many times I had watched it. That's how much I love it. What does it do? What does it do for you? God, it's it's another one of those ones that it's, it's the emotions. It's, mm. you know, it's a true story that took place in 1993. Um, and the events of the film actually took place the day after my birthday. Um, so like in hindsight now as an adult, I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> but it's just, you know, there's the nostalgia for the 90s, but just it's a war film. So all of the emotions of the people who were lost that day and how it could have been prevented. Once they actually go on that mission, like it just never lets up once the first yeah. helicopter is shot yeah. down. And yeah. You know, you get to know the characters beforehand. And there was, you know, one person who in the film got shot trying to save one of his buddies and he ended up dying and he was only 18. And so, you know, just it's this reminder of how terrible war is. And it's so emotional. And and then there's the aspect of it where you know, at the time that it came out, it was Josh Hartnett and he was the one that like everybody my age loved. And so that was why I originally saw the movie. And so there's also that nostalgia of like, you know, high school days and what yeah. high school was and that kind of thing. Right. And and it's interesting because, you know, you, you mentioned nostalgia a couple of times, obviously with Black Hawk Down and and also with Christine and, and, mm-hmm. and totally Kelly. I mean, I think it's one of those emotions and feelings that, you know, we all relate to so much it's such power in that nostalgia and you know i wonder if it's the thought of being on an island and and being maybe you know cast away away from friends family loved ones space time that actually that nostalgia is needed more than ever i think it could be um i think also just in general to get like kind of super serious for a moment mm-hmm. i think my generation is experiencing a lot of nostalgia for the 90s right now mm-hmm. not because we think it was a better time necessarily because in so many ways it wasn't but because it was a simpler time in a lot of ways you know we didn't have all the social media we didn't have all the technology and Life was just different. And I think a lot of us are really missing that right now. Yeah, because, you know, I was, I I grew up during the 90s and um, I I look back on it and I was definitely, my generation was that final, I guess the last generation to grow up without being wired into the internet. A time when there was no war, uh, very little war. America was at peace, you know, Clinton. uh, And it was like this golden time between the fall of the wall and then the you know the fall of the towers that 
felt like a real hopeful time and a time of real excitement after the bloated 80s and and as you say the music was such a key part of that music's never been better than the 90s um both sides of the pond um so yeah it there's a nostalgia I know I feel keenly for, for that. Um, your new project that I know you you can't tell us too much about, but I'm yeah. getting I'm getting the the hints and that that taps into that that whole you know way that we live our life now compared to them. Yeah, it's I'm trying. Um, it's it's. I'm just going to say there are time loops and a lot of those time loops are set like in the late nineties, early two thousands. So you're going to get, hopefully if I do it well enough, you'll get some of that feeling of, you know, what it was like, like you said, you know, before the towers fell, like there was this very clear, like before and after. Mm. And, you know, I was actually talking to a friend about this recently where, you know, for me, I remember a time before the towers fell. I remember a time after they fell, but I was at the age where I wasn't really paying attention to the politics. Yeah. So in a sense, it didn't feel like there was much of a change, even though obviously there was. And now as an adult with the pandemic, there's a very clear before and after that I feel much more, I'm just much more aware of it now. And I feel that more sharply, which is part of why I'm having that nostalgia because it's like, well, we can't ever go to a time that we, you know, the time we had before the pandemic. Mm. And there's certainly that idea of we can't go back to the time in the nineties before the towers fell. Yeah. That the, they're like BC and AD timelines, aren't they? It's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and that, you know, how did the pandemic yeah, impact you as a, you know, regarding your reading and your writing and you and your creativity. Um, what's these last couple of years been like for you in that respect? Yeah. Um, my so my reading habits really haven't changed that much. Um, I've worked through the entire pandemic. Yeah. I don't talk about this a lot on Instagram because I felt like it was becoming too much of my identity. But I'm a librarian, mm. so even though the libraries were shut down, some of us still had to go to work. So for two and a half months, I was working in an empty building and mm. ramped up my reading a little bit because I listened to some audiobooks during that time. Yeah. Um. Overall, the reading didn't change. The writing is what changed for me. Yeah. I had taken a very long break from writing. I had been writing young adult novels and querying them with agents. And I was getting good feedback, but, mm. you know, it wasn't going anywhere, which was fine. The books, you know, in hindsight, weren't good enough. Mm. But I got frustrated. And then the young adult world kind of just exploded on Twitter with you know, just, it almost felt like you couldn't do anything right for certain groups of people. So I just took a step back and wasn't really writing for a long time. Mm. And then, then the pandemic happened and I met people like Jay Alexander and Spencer Hamilton and just started writing again. And, you know, they, along with so many other people also, Jamie, you know, really encouraged me when I said, you know, I'm going to try this horror thing. It wasn't a genre I had really written before. And Mm. 
So 2020 was the year that I started taking my writing seriously again Mm -hmm. and trying to get published. What's your take on, you know, the health of libraries and, you know, what they offer and how they survive in an age when for a lot of people there's a disconnect to the tactility of, you know, a book, let alone borrowing a book or, you know, what's that like? It's, it's been a very strange time. Mm. Um, you know, the two and a half months that we were closed and I was just working in this empty building, I was doing busy work and, it was very much like, what is the purpose? I'm, you know, my whole job is to help people and connect them with resources, whether that's Mm. physical books or eBooks or movies, or I'm a children's librarian. So, you know, doing story times or having a Lego club. So it was really strange to not experience all of that. The good thing with libraries is we are highly adaptable and we are, you know, very innovative and People don't realize that. When they think of libraries, they think of a building full of books where it's quiet. You're going to be shushed all the time. (laughs) You know, that's that's just, that's still what people think. That's the stereotype. And they don't realize that we are so much more than that. So much more than that. You know, we have people come in who use our computers to do their resumes and to apply for jobs. And Mm -hmm. we've had people sit in the study rooms doing job interviews through Zoom or you know, whatever they need to do, like, we're not going anywhere. And it's definitely been tough. You know, there's always going to be worries about budget cuts, but the libraries are the perfect kind of organization to go through a pandemic because we adapt to it. And we provide things that people now who are hurting from this pandemic financially, we provide resources they can't get anywhere else for free or for the very low cost that we might provide for it. A place of real community as well. You know, I remember, you know, and I've said it on King Size that the very first King book I read, um, and I've said it to you, obviously, is it was, it was Christine. Seeing all the date stamps of the people that had read it, and then in my head I'm building mm-hmm. up, well, I wonder what they're like. I wonder what their story is and their connection to it. And yeah. there's something yeah. so beautiful about that passing on of the baton. Um, you know, you feel like you're, you, you're the next step in a, in a journey that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. And to go along with that, you know, public libraries are also probably the only organization where we don't care what your, you know, financial status is. We don't care what your gender is. We don't care what your sexual orientation is. We don't care what your race or ethnicity is. We are for everyone. Yeah. And there truly is something for everyone because as public libraries, we can't say, oh, well, we're not going to, we're not going to buy the books that don't agree with our political beliefs. We can't do that. You know, that's censorship and that's everything that we're against. So, Mm. you know, there is, there really is something for everyone. So I think we'll end with uh, the King book that will you throw on the fire. So what luxury item are you going to take with you? And again, it can be against all logic, science. It can be <laughs> big or small, whatever you want. It's uh, whatever you want. What's the luxury item you're taking with you? Yeah. So my first thought was my bed, of course. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want their own bed? But then I earlier today listened to Jamie's episode again and he mentioned cheesecake and the cheesecake factory. (laughs) And so I thought, oh no, he's right. I need to bring some food with me. So I'm bringing 
all the Mexican food I can get. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Lovely, lovely. You got it. You got it. As much as you want. Again, as we said, you have as much as you want. I need all the enchiladas and all the tamales. Oh. Like, give me all of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you do you do me- do you do you do Mexican cooking yourself as well, or, or mainly when you're out? What's your um? Well, so living in New Mexico, there's you know kind of this idea that there's a difference between New Mexican food and Mexican food. Yeah, right. So probably I mostly make new Mexican food. I do a lot of enchiladas and we have red and green chili here, which I don't even know how to describe that if people don't know what it is, aside from that it's amazing and delicious and everybody needs to come here and try it. Um, So I do, I cook some of it myself, but some of the stuff like tamales, I'm never going to make myself. It's a very long and complicated process and I will just get that when I go out to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So are you pretty, when it comes to the chilies, are you, are you pretty good with the spices? Are you pretty good with the hot stuff? I'm pretty good with hot stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't when I was younger. When I was a kid, I was like, no, no, put that on the side. Yeah, <laughs> and now yeah, as an yeah. adult, I'm like, give it to me. It's delicious. <laughs> Bring it on. Well, that is yours, Kelly. You got all the Mexican food and it's oh, <laughs> making my stomach rumble in anticipation just talking about <laughs> it. Sounds gorgeous. But you've got one thing left. And the final thing is, so you've 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 watched a film, you've had some beautiful Nirvana music, you've got your King books there, um, you you've had a lovely lovely few enchiladas, and but the night's getting cold, right? And you got to stoke those that fire up, so you can have a Stephen King book <laughs> to throw upon the flames. So Kelly, which King book would it be, and specifically? Why? The talisman. <laughs> I, uh, I love it. No, not, a, not even a beat of hesitation there. I, love, well, yeah. I just finished reading it. Um, so I'm doing my chronological reread right now. And I right. just finished, finished the talisman like two days ago. Wow. This is my third time reading it. And I have never liked this book. It's, yeah. it's one of those ones where I think it could be really good. But again, I think it's a little too long. Yeah. Um, I kind of wish it hadn't been co-written. I think that kind of does it a disservice. And I just, everybody talks about how much they love Wolf and I hated Wolf. Like, I just could not stand that character. <laughs> so that was going on the fire for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And the good thing about it, because it's a co-write as well, it's not all kings. So, you know, we can, there's a, right. there's, yeah, it's a, that's a good answer. Ali. And hey, look, a third time round, if by then it's still not doing it, then, oh, you wow. know. I had a moment this time where I was like, hey, maybe this isn't as bad as I remember. And then I was like, no, no, this is just as bad. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, it's worse. It's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like the, so you... the parts I had enjoyed the second time around, I didn't even like them this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost quit while you're ahead, right? So you're doing your chrono- a chronological reread. So yeah. just just give us a give us a little taste of that. How's that been going for you? Oh God, it's, I've been really slow about it. I started it in January of 2021 and I'm just mm-hmm. <laughs> not reading it as quickly as I thought I would because I have so many other things I need to read. Um, I'm also doing a chronological reread right now of Sarah Dessen's books. She's another young adult author. So I'm kind of going back and forth between the two, but 
I, I want to get this read this reread going a little bit quicker, so I'm going to try to not read as many books in between the King books. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's it. Is it? It's hard that to be read pile and or to be reread just gets bigger and bigger, right? It's um... oh, always. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Kelly, listen, it has been such uh, such a treat being able to to talk to you. I really, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and giving us your insights. It's been so nice too as well. Talk libraries. And I think that's just, yeah, that will resonate with, with, with so many. And um, I love what you said about them. I really did. I really did. And and Kelly, for those um, that would love to, um, you know, kind of find you on, on Instagram or, you know, get access to, to what you write, how can people um, find you? Yeah, so just through Instagram at Kelly Brocklehurst. That is the only social media that I have right now. That's probably the only social social media I will ever have. <laughs> um. Brilliant. That's the place to keep an out. I'm hoping to get a website started sometime this year, maybe a newsletter. Yeah. So keep an eye out. Fabulous. And it sounds, as you say, like you've got some really, really cool projects just coming down uh, through the pipeline. Oh, so oh, I yeah. wish I could talk about it so bad. And like, technically, I guess I'm allowed to, but I want to build up the anticipation. That's cool. Well, would you, what about, how about this for a deal? You promise you, you come back on the show and come do an interview with us once, uh, once the project's out there and it drops. Yeah. How about that? Oh, yeah, that would be great. Okay. Awesome. All right. Kelly, you have been our survivor type. Grab everything you need and we'll send you to that island. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. And thank you so much, all our listeners, for for tuning in. Um, And please join us, uh, carry on with us for our It Rereads and also for our next survivor type. And in the meantime, just uh, take care and look after yourselves. Thank you. Find us on Instagram at kingsizepodcast or email kingsizepod at gmail.com if you think you're the survivor type. Music, Firestorm by Last Picture Show, remixed by Brian Southworth-Turner, and all King Size episodes are available on Spotify and iTunes.